Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome and good evening tonight. It is another edition of the Believe in Monsters podcast. Got a big crew let ready to hang out and talk some Chicago Bears. Myself, Joe Gaither, Chris Krogman, and Lucas Berry, of course. And we got a special guest into the house tonight. Uh, so we're really excited for everybody uh, joining us on tonight's episode. We're going to talk about offensive line play. We're going to talk about rookie minicamp. We're going to talk about a story in the Players' Tribune as well. So lots of big Bears talk on tap tonight. Thank y'all so much for joining us and being a part of the show. Uh, we are live on Believe in Monsters uh, on Twitter, BIM underscore Monsters on Twitter. We're live on Facebook as well and on YouTube. So go ahead and give us a like, a share, a follow. Uh, tell your friends about us. If you like the Bears, go rub it in all your Packers fans' faces. Uh, <laughs> we're doing some fun over here. And uh, yeah, we appreciate y'all hanging out and joining us. Of course, we are a part of the Believe Network. And we want to say thank you, of course, to the Believe Network for uh, getting us hooked in and uh, accepting us as a member of the family. It's been a lot of fun so far. And we look forward to uh, kind of seeing what the future has for us. Uh, before we welcome in our special guest, we've got our uh, offensive line expert tonight. So I'm excited to hear uh, about uh, what his opinions were of the Chicago Bears draft because that was a lot of the area that uh, Ryan Pohl has kind of addressed in the draft. We'll get uh, great opinions from Michael Gus uh, on the offensive line. But uh, Chris Krogman, uh, it's been a week, man. I missed you. How are you feeling? How was your week? Did you uh, celebrate Big Mother's Day with, for, 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 for Mama Krogman and, and the boys? Definitely, definitely doing really good today. Uh, Mr. Gaithers, thank you so much for uh, the warm introduction. And we are super excited to be part of the Believe Network. Uh, got going over there, officially launched, uh, first podcast up and posted for them. Followed the Believe Network at Believe, B-L-E-A-V Network. Uh, yeah, Mother's Day was good. Got the wife a hour long massage, so she's looking forward to uh, you know settling in for that, getting away from her crazy children for an hour. Uh, boys made her a couple nice, you know, artistic cards, you know, make your mom a card and whatnot. But yeah, it was good. Excited to talk Bears draft. Excited to talk to Michael again, Lucas, my main man. Your Sixers are not looking good tonight but that's okay we're talking bears so how are you tonight friend yeah besides that game that's uh it's going pretty well i'm excited to to talk more about the bears draft dive into it uh it's it's great it seems like football season never ends i mean now we have the the schedule release coming up to look forward to that'll be on thursday so get to see the bears are playing but uh Really curious to uh, talk to Michael here and excited to hear what he has to say about the four new linemen we drafted on day three and and who possibly has potential to uh, be playing for the Bears at all or just even dressing this year. So, uh, Michael, welcome to the show, man. How you doing tonight? 
I'm doing good. I'm excited to be back, man. Thanks, uh, thanks to all you guys for having me back. 100%. Where I'm sure you have input on, you know, the other draft picks as well, not just the offensive linemen, since you are a, a football guy in general. Uh, and if you do follow the NFL schedule release or schedule leak pod or uh, Twitter account, uh, looks like the Bears could be playing the Lions week one. So that could be a fun and interesting way to that is, get the that's season. That's really good news. Get the wasn't season there, going. Wasn't there an account of like, isn't there an account every year that does that to get followers and then they're like, oh, we just made this up. I swear that happened <laughs> uh, last year. We're like, there all is, these schedules. I, <laughs> I think there is one that's, that's well, obviously there's fake accounts for everything, right? But uh, I think this one's been pretty, pretty legit last couple of years. Um, but I'm fine with that. Who knows? I love this one with the Lions. Lions, <laughs> Lions fans are already talking smack. They said they want the Bears week one. Yeah, it will be available. I love that. That'd be a great time to get them. <laughs> I couldn't think of anyone else I'd rather play week one. A brand new offense with a second. Yeah, you know, that's a get right game. That's like college when you schedule Southern. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael, why don't you, you know, before we kind of take a deep dive into the day three offensive lineman, why don't you give us your take on the first Two round, two three rounds of the draft. You know, uh, the the defensive backs that they took, the wide receiver out of Tennessee, Velas Jones. Uh, give us your general take on you know day one or day two for the Bears and just the overall draft. Yeah. So, and, and you know, honestly, the first uh, first two picks being two defensive backs, I don't have a problem with it. You know, we're gonna take polls at his word and i think that it, it probably was a value pick by a considerable margin um you know just being plugged into the the scouting process leading up to the draft i'm not sure that i would argue that anybody else left on the board was maybe even close to those two at the time i, I mean I, I saw pretty consistent first round grades on those take them as i mean as, if we're taking them at face value and that those were just two hey these guys are you know a tier above what's left and we're going to take him regardless position fine you know if you get two productive day one starters and, and that's going to remain to be seen um you get two productive day one starters i've got no problem with that you know as much as i would like offensive help um if you turn two second round picks into guys that contribute all year long-term pieces fine i'm fine with that now moving into the third round um bayless jones jr it <laughs> it's baffling I, I mean it really is so we i've talked quite a bit about this you know on, on twitter we've been back and forth um i find it interesting that you would you, you would fill that role or you know take a swing at that role um given their roster where they did um i and that's not to say it's a bad player you know bad pick nobody knows just looking at it from a role standpoint i it's someone i've talked about that you probably need to manufacture touches for um and when you say that you know you think screens rpos manufactured touches is it largely you know at least in the reference that i've heard it used um that's going to refer to you're not working him into a passing concept as much as you're saying you know we're going to set this up. We like this look. And if everything goes right, be it an RPO, a screen, a jet sweep, whatever the case might be, we're going to get him the ball uncontested. You know, we're not asking him to run a route and beat a guy. Um, 
remains to be seen, you know, what he can turn into. I see the physical desires for him. I'm just not sure, given the fact that, you know, one one might argue that Darnell Mooney is really the only three down XYZ, whatever, you know, tag you want to put on that. Receiver on the roster, I, it seems like you're taking a, uh, and Gadget's the wrong word, um, you know, like a joker role, a, a very specific role, you know, very specific sets. Curious that you would do that there, given the other needs. I mean, that feels like something that, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, would typically do is they're polishing off a roster, not, you know, a roster complete rebuild. But we'll see. The uh, the word Getsy used was versatile, and that seems to be a word that he repeated a lot in his press conference during rookie minicamp as they were looking for versatile guys that could do a lot of different things. Uh, so, like, when you talk about, you know, uh, you know, kind of manufacturing touches for him, are those more of like your your me routes or your like tr- specifically designed plays for this guy rather than he just fits in, you get him the ball if he's open kind of thing uh, and specifically designed plays for him? Or is he just like kind of walk, walk me through like yeah, so, know, how, so that, how a play gets designed for a guy? That's a really good question. And I don't mean to use it in a derogatory sure. you know, way because there's a lot to like about him. You know, definitely he's got a... I mean, he's got a pretty stout frame, you know, for everyone thinks of the speed guy. I, he's, he can run through some contact. He's got some, he's contact. built like a running back. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this isn't a, you know, this isn't like a converted scat back from college, very far from it. Yeah. Um, but to your specific question, that's a great one. Um, when you say manufactured touches, so the role that I've heard it referred to as, so I don't know if this is going to, you know, anyone listening, it might, you know, raise some alarm bells or, um, but Joker or Jack are, is the two designations that I've heard it referred to as. And usually, so that's a player. It's pretty specific sets. Uh, usually number two, three by one, I usually see it as. But um, slot receiver that's going to work into screens, RPOs. And it's not, you know, it's different than a gadget in the sense that, um, you know, like you see a lot in college, a guy comes in for one touch. It's a jet sweep. We're giving him the ball no matter what. Um, but I would say that Joker Jack, the role that I think he's going to play in, you know, he could always surprise us and who knows, you know, I'm not going to write him off in that sense. Um, but you're going to put him in specific sets, probably one that you like to run out of, you know, then you're going to run the RPO. And if you get the, you like, you know, he's wide open on that little glance that we've, we've seen Getsy run a ton where, you know, they'll run inside outside zone doesn't matter away from him when he's in the slot. And if that linebacker, Nick, you know, whoever that head up defender is, plays the run you know they're not going to block him well you know now you get him the ball right away and he's one-on-one with the safety or depending on the alignment um same thing with a jet sweep you know a a lot of pre-snap alerts and and rpo such a i mean is a catch-all term um but i would expect and i I think that he can really excel in uh, again you put him in those specific sets probably ones that you really like to run out of um in that slot in that number two role and then you know a lot of times you'll have some sort of pre-snap, call it alert, hot, whatever, um, where, hey, you know, if they're aligned a certain way, usually if, you know, maybe they're maybe they're showing, like, like too high, and instead of a nickel corner, they've got a linebacker, you know, that's not head up over them, hey, we're just going to throw it right away. You know, we're just, we got two on one, we're just, we're going to say a word, you know, whatever that word is, and we're going to throw it to them. Um, 
tie that into the you know, there's a lot that I think Getsy's gonna kind of work that in because it makes the defense it, it kind of dictates to the defense when he's on the field hey we can only align a certain way maybe the defense decides hey you know if we can't play this alignment we don't want to play this coverage and if Getsy's you know good then that's going to open up the door so like it, you know I, I don't dislike the player I just it's curious because I don't think this is going to be a feature in the offense unless he surprises us and does, you know, a lot of different things. Maybe he doesn't do that his rookie year, um, but he is, you know, 25 in a couple of days. So uh, hopefully he is, you know, ready to go sooner rather than later. Getsy also mentioned his professionalism, uh, showed up in a suit to rookie minicamp, showed up with his own whiteboard ready to work. So, uh, more positives out of Velas Jones Jr. I, you know, I am a very, uh, you know, uh, glass half full kind of guy when guys come out. I, I used to be a, oh, you know, we could have got that dude in the fifth, sixth round, you know, shit a brick about Adam Shaheen, blah, blah, blah. But whatever. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you drafted him in the third or the fifth or the sixth or whatever. Chris, what, what, what are we insinuating or what are we uh, uh, basically extrapolating from Davis Jones taking his own whiteboard to rookie minicamp? He likes to drop his own place. He's like, give me the ball right here and then I'm going to be gone. But like you said, Michael, with the, you know, the quick slants that gets, he likes to run, um, you know, in the few uh, highlights I saw of Jones, it looks like he hit that slant pretty hard and can, can split a defense rather quickly, uh, break a few arm tackles here and there. So uh, exciting to see how they, how they do use him. Yeah, I'm excited too. And one more thing that, um, you know, I should have mentioned that I'll add. So that role, you, you know, again, call it the, the, the Joker, the Jack, whatever. I'm sure there's a hundred different names for what we've all described, you know, what he's probably going to do. Um, I, I like to kind of describe that as a, you know, that's going to be a mirror of the offense. So if this offense is fundamentally sound, you know, we can actually run inside outside zone, unlike under Matt Nagy, and we can do it effectively. And we have something other than stick spacing that you know, maybe, and maybe if we're feeling crazy, right, we'll, we'll like do some sort of play action that isn't doesn't have a shot attached. You know, we'll, a legitimate play action, not you know, show a play play block seven and you know, either throw the ball out of bounds or hopefully you know get mooned up the seams. Um, if we can do all those fundamentals correctly, you know, that's where Velas is going to have a huge role because you're preoccupied with inside zone. You know, here comes that linebacker. Now, you know, field sees it, hits him. And like you said, now now that's a problem. You know, now he has the ball. We've all seen what he can do in the open field. Now he's one-on-one with the safety before that before the defense even knows what happened. Um, yeah, that's, you know, the design of the play. Or, hey, we're getting beat off on mesh. A lot of people have done a really good job recently on these mesh concepts. Hey, we're getting beat up on mesh, so we're going to line a little bit differently. And, you know, now they're taking the snap, throwing them the ball, and we're two-on-one on the outside. And, and, again, we're setting, you know, we've got a we've got a two-on-one on the outside where he's really dangerous. That's assuming we do all the other things correctly. Now, you know, right. Jones under Matt Nagy would have been a gimmick because oh. if, <laughs> if if you don't have Cordero Patterson. potatoes, that that's not going to work. That is a gimmick at that point. That's uh, giving the ball on a jet sweep because we can't do anything else right and just, you know, hope something cool happens. So would you say that part of Valus Jones is key to kind of seeing the field early and often is just is probably going to be him blocking his tail off so that way he can stay on the field on those running downs and they can disguise it a lot better 
because like if he's you know if he's killing it blocking from the slot or whatever they're not going to have to move him in and out of the field just for his formation they can leave him out there on those zone plays and cause that much more confusion for the defense so would you kind of agree that his oh, blocking yeah. ability really will determine how much playing time we see this year yeah i think so i mean it's I- it's a staple for this type of offense. Really, all these receivers are going to have to block a lot. And I know Pringle's actually really good at it. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's he's gonna right. He's gonna have to do all the little things. You know, he's gonna have to, you know block when they want him to block. And the thing with his speed too is, you know, which kind of gets overlooked. Um, he, he's gonna have to really sell those runoffs too. You know, if we need. It, you know, if we want that safe to get wide, we want him way out of the box. Well, you know, he needs to really sell that runoff. Like all, you know, younger players that are trying to get on the field. Um, but th- that's a great point is that, yeah, you're right. I mean, if he can't block, if we're, if we're putting him out there, you know, and he's only able to play 10, 15% of the snaps because, you know, and even we've seen some other guys um, under some less talented coordinators named Matt Nagy. Um, where you put him out there, you know exactly what's coming. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. You know, he's got to fit, even if it's a condensed version, you know, depending, I expect him to be in some very specific sets. Um, He's still got to, you know, you still can't have the playbook limited because he can only do X, Y, Z. And I don't think that's a problem. You know, I actually, it's something I've looked at. I think he, I think he's a willing blocker and he's, he's a lot bigger than people think. You know, they see 4-3 and they, just assume the guy's 170 pounds and it's just not the case yeah he's thick he's thicking he's thicking the lower mm-hmm. half where you where you need to be in the uh in the game of football and having that much speed and that it much lower body power it will have turned 25 by the time our podcast releases birthday is tomorrow wednesday well happy birthday well, happy- mr jones <laughs> Um, well that, you know, I, from all, all the Twitter GMs, you know, didn't give us, didn't give us guys that have, you know, not enough sec Tennessee watching time on their hands or, you know, go all the way back to Sam Darnold and USC hooking up with Velas Jones, uh, didn't give the best impression of, of Jones, but, I'm excited to see what they do with him. I, I, I'm really excited for Getzy. I think, you know, kind of some of the beat writers have talked about it and, you know, fans are talking about it and like, maybe they're more comfortable with the progression of Justin Fields, the progression of the offense with just the changing of the guard in the offensive room, whether that's head coach, uh, you know, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, offensive line coach. I don't know if we had a chance to talk Chris Morgan last time. I want to get some, I have some questions about just like offensive line coaching since we do have four day three guys and you know what that looks like, but they seem to be comfortable with, you know, just bringing Getsy in being enough to like upgrade the offense significantly. Do you think like, do you think that that's kind of the reading between the tea leaves, Michael with the, you know, what the bears are thinking or, do you think shit we're you know we're stuck and we should have got you know another offensive weapon or three? <laughs> I think primarily, and again, we're we're just gonna assume baseline competency from Getsy because I don't think that that's an unfair, I don't think that's an unrealistic expectation at all. He probably what you know far exceeds that from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. But even if you got 
you know, replacement level. A term that I'm, that's such a massive upgrade from Matt Nagy. Um, that yes, it's. I just. I think it. I think it would. I think it's going to be very difficult, frankly, to not be a massive positive if you're Luke Etsy. I mean, I do it. I. You know, I know everyone's smiling, but I mean that in a, in a serious way. I just. I don't think. I, you can't do any worse. I, I really don't believe that. Um, well, offensively, you're gonna have a plan. You're gonna have a, 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 a continuous plan. We're gonna run this concept feeds to that concept, and we've got more options than, as you said earlier, just your sticks route. God damn. Well, you can already see it. There's a team concept. There's an identity already forming, as opposed to this. Eh, we're still kind of figuring out who we are. This is offense 101, 102, 202. Blah blah blah. Do <laughs> pro, <laughs> Professor Nagy, you ain't it. Like I, Joe, and I both, I think rooted for Nagy for for quite some time uh we go back to you know the the fun trick plays and the Santa Clauses and all that or Santa Slay Santa Claus whatever uh and yeah so it clearly wasn't working so I, I agree uh it's gonna be hard to not be an upgrade over Nagy's offense so but I think you know, I talked about it, you know, when we were going through the coaching search that this is the kind of offense that I think fits not only the talent, the talent that was on the team, but also just Chicago in general. Uh, so looking forward to seeing it. Um, can't wait. Lucas, you guys want to get into day three and these hogs up front? First I do, off, yeah. First off, I got a quick question. Michael, which one is the smelliest, meanest, nastiest lineman that we drafted? Thomas. That's not a timer, dude. I got, I got a, a pretty uh, similar in that department grades on, I think, Thomas and even Kramer. Um, watching, and we'll get into it, it's, it's very interesting to see the development in Kramer, just the attitude um, from last year to this year, or, you know, I, I guess two years to the 2020 to this year. Um, it's something I, I did a thread on him um, last week and it, it was something pretty cool to see because there was a noticeable difference. I think the edge would go to Thomas in that regard. If we're tossing, talking nasty, smelly, liability to uh earn 15 not get 15 because there's a huge difference like uh like we always used to say but uh yeah i, I think thomas would edge him out but the trajectory uh kramer's on it you know i wouldn't be surprised if he uh you know he, he's definitely a number one contender that's for sure yeah i don't i don't know about these two fcs guys though to be honest with you i'm not all that impressed <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like Braxton Jones from Southern? Yeah, so like oh, Braxton Jones, everyone was hyping him up, and then I, I, I finally got to watching him this week, and just I was left totally unimpressed. And just reading Dane Brugler's beast, where he's like, "Oh, he has a potential left tackle, a potential future as a starting left tackle." I was just kind of like, "Ugh, I don't see it at all." Yeah, no, I, I think <laughs> to me, just to jump in here real quick. I think on the surface, Jones and Carter are probably long-term physical upside flyers. Yeah. You see it, you see it flash, but you know, which is cool. It, fine. If we're breaking down a 15 second highlight film, then, you know, they're definitely going to the pro bowl this year. Um, Cause they do flash. I mean, you see the physicality 
come out, but they they also flash for all the wrong reasons sometimes too. Um, and, and again, that's a big, big jump to the NFL. You know, especially any jump. It's a big jump from Alabama to the NFL. But you know, as you as you move down, you know, maybe you 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 haven't seen an NFL caliber edge rusher. You know, from where they came, that makes the jump even bigger. Um, so yeah, I, I think those two are probably. At least to me, those two are, you know, guys that you really like the physical upside. I'm sure they like the person, you know, they wouldn't have drafted them otherwise. And they think, hey, stash him on the practice squad, you know, bounce him in and out of the, the 53, kind of depending on the week and health. Get him in a NFL weight room with an NFL nutritionist and, you know, all those other things for a year. And let's see what we got next year. So, you know, kind of speaking to what Lucas alluded to with with Brugler's beast reports and then kind of going back to what I was talking about with with coaching and stuff like that. So, and like you just alluded to it a little bit with NFL uh, nutrition. So, like, what is NFL gonna, coaching going to do for him? I mean, his good, you know, traits are. You know, his balance and foot quickness uh, being, you know, a decent run blacker right now. His bad habits are, you know, stomping his feet, letting his pads rise. We saw some tape of that, I think, even at the Senior Bowl, if I remember correctly, four offensive linemen in the second round. I can't remember who was where, uh, but or third third day, whatever, uh, lowering his eyes. So, like, how does a, a Chris Morgan kind of – coach that up, fix those, those problems and get the most out of Braxton Jones. I I think the first thing is having all of, you know, both of those are both of those guys, all of them, but you know, Braxton Jones, you know, especially is going to coming, you know, now he's in the NFL, he's in the Chicago bears. He's got a lot more resources. All of these guys do, but this is again, an extreme example, a big jump up. Um, all these resources at their disposal to that they, they probably didn't have in college, you, you know, just giving budget issues um, or I shouldn't say issues restrictions. Um, but, how, you know, how that helps them. It just you, number one's the speed, right? Um, the equation that I've heard and I've always liked to use, you, you know, it's like driving, you know, you, you learn to drive, you know, originally call it a high school player on a side street. You, you, those colleges are, you know, you're on a little state highway and now, you know, you're on the Autobahn that's how fast mm-hmm. things are happening. You know, these edge rushers are on top of you turning your shoulders and turning the corner before, you know, the guys in college were out of their stance. Um, but I, I think given the physical tools, um, just having that level of competition and practice every single day um, is going to let these coaches hyper refine, you know, all the physical tools they like, if that makes sense. So, you know, you like the, you like the arm length just and how as long as the feet keep moving which which is a problem for him but um you know you like the way he sets at least that seemed to be the consensus um you kind of alluded to there's pad level and even once engaged in the feet stop or they stomp you know they're just not very quick um it, but that can be refined because you're you know you're you're lined up against robert quinn so either you know what i mean everything's going to happen a little bit faster you um, so I, I think that offers a good opportunity for these coaches to refine the physical talents, gifts, upside, you, you know, however you want to phrase that, um, throw them, you know, throw them on the Autobahn, everything's moving really quickly and then kind of refine it from there. Yeah. I mean, you, um, if you're a good competitor, 
in anything you know you you dominate a certain level of competition and then you get that next level of competition you either rise to it and play hard every single play there's no plays off there's no two seconds off there's nothing you go you go hard every day you put every single effort into it and we'll see if that's you know going to be the case for these guys uh you know he only played one game i think against like arizona state where he did not show out well uh from from all accounts but um we'll see do you think his best position is outside a tackle or do you think he's more um could be more successful inside a guard or how does that look I think it's worth given his physical upside to, to leave him as a developmental tackle, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the rest of the draft class. I, mm-hmm. You've got three other interior guys, you know, in all likelihood. Um, so if I'm looking at it from, you know, Ryan Poles, Getsy, whoever else, their perspective and, and looking at, okay, you know, we've got these four guys, they're all day three guys um, and, and kind of who fits where both this year and long-term. That's he stands out as the obvious developmental tackle to me. Um, again, given the just the physical upside, um, I, I'm not sure any of the for being realistic, I'm not sure any of the other guys really, even in a best case scenario, you know, have that kind of starting tackle, you, you know, upside, albeit it's a long shot. But, um, so, so yes, I, I would assume you, you know, he gets reps at tackle, he's probably somewhere between the practice squad and you know like a like a depth piece that wouldn't be on the 53 you know unless there's an injury and you know and that and that's another point too um you know we have two second year tackles obviously as much as i like jenkins you know he did have a back issue last year you hope you know you for all evidence says that that's in the past but i'm still keeping you know an extra developmental depth tackle um like him around on the practice squad or you know, bumping in and out of the 53-man lineup. Before we move on to the next lineman, uh, I just want to circle back to what you just touched on with the, with the two second-year tackles that we have. Uh, obviously, T- Jenkins, uh, we kind of have all talked a lot about him, but do you feel – how confident are you in Larry Boren playing one of those tackles? Yes, I don't really know what happened, like, in terms of public opinion to Larry Boren. For a rookie being thrown in there, uh, again, you know dr- – I don't think the plan for Larry Borums to ever play as much as he did as a rookie. I think he, that's to say, I think he really overachieved and exceeded anybody's expectations. But I I don't know why all of a sudden, you know, in the minds of, it seems like a lot of Bears fans, Larry Borums, no good. Or, you know, there's no upside there. I think, so I would say cautiously optimistic. Um, I thought he showed enough last year again given a full NFL offseason, weight room, nutrition, everything, you know, the full cycle to be cautiously optimistic that he would, um, you, you know, be able to give you a baseline, you know, baseline average, I, I think is a very achievable expectation for him this year. Now, again, though, given, you know, the the precious cargo that, that's going to be standing behind him, I'd use the phrase – and it usually gets me killed on Twitter, but here we go again. Um, they don't have a proven quality starter up front. They are zero out of five in that department. So I, as much as I like Jenkins and Borum, um, I'm going to operate with it. If it were me, I would operate with a trust, but verify. And I think that's what drafting four offensive linemen, even if it's in day three does. Mm. Good I have one count. I have one counter argument to your Larry Borum theory. 
I think Larry Borm is going to be on track to start last year if he didn't suffer that concussion. Because I remember at the beginning of training camp, he was getting a lot of first-team reps, and then he got that concussion, and he was sidelined for a few weeks, and then they signed Jason Peters like maybe two weeks before the season started. But oh, they definitely I, signed Peters after the concussion. I think Borm got a concussion, like hitting a pad or something stupid. Yeah, he did. No, absolutely. And I'm glad you said that. I think so, too. I mean, I think the expectation once he got into camp went through the ceiling. Um, oh, yeah. I think when they drafted him, you know, it probably you definitely weren't thinking, oh, man, we got our left and right tackle. I think he right, showed. Right, right, And then, you know, the whole Jenkins thing was unfortunate. But no, I think you're absolutely right. I think had he stayed healthy they were fine with, you know, okay, we lost Jenkins, but, you know, we've got a guy that maybe we didn't expect to have this early. Right. But, yeah, then he got hurt, too, and we were pulling a 40-year-old off a fishing boat. <laughs> I mean, for what he was asked to do, Peters really wasn't, like, that bad. I was going to say, I mean, it was, it was pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, that you got, <laughs> you want to talk about good fortune. It's pulling a 40-year-old off a fishing boat. <laughs> And not only getting good health, but good play out of him. It's just pretty yeah. And he's one of the best how they do it, though. How they tried to use him, you know, trying to get him out <laughs> on some bubble screens. Like, dude's 39 <laughs> years old and 340 pounds, and you're trying to get him out to bubble screen for, for Mooney. Like, bro, just no. Well, well that's Matt Nagy. Again, see, like we were talking about earlier, when literally nothing else were. I mean, when your day one concepts routinely lose three yards, then... Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I'm surprised Nagy didn't try to throw him the ball. He's um, a big dude. That <laughs> might he played tight end. Yeah, he played tight. I mean, that was that would have been a better plan. Look, Michael, yeah. you should go coach. I'm, well, I'm telling you, you know, Nagy in four years couldn't find any. Yeah, you know, he couldn't find any real concept inside the five door. So yeah, why not throw him the ball like we uh, did so well one time? Well, you t- we, we talked about it with, with Mavis Jones and, and just how conceptually speaking it might help, uh, help the offense look a lot smoother for Justin Fields. Do you think the concepts and the adjustments to the offense, uh, you know, offensive philosophy will reap a lot of benefits for the offensive line as well? well yeah, and that's an awesome point. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, so, I mean, we go back to the Browns game, right? And, okay, that looks ridiculous on its face. Or, a, a net negative passing yards because – of the amount of sacks. And then you go back and break it down. And they were in scat, meaning five man protection, like 65%. I, I don't remember the exact number, but I do remember it was over 60%. That's, that's absurd. Like, it, okay. And even if that's your game plan, which is brain dead, but even if that's your game plan going in, maybe after sack number five, you know, we, we got to maybe get on the headset, the whiteboard. I don't know if they got the surface tap something and go, hey, you know, um, that's uh, that's sack number five in the first quarter. So let's let's find something out. But I mean, that was the Matt Nagy era. So, yes, to answer your question, absolutely. I don't believe that there's another offensive coordinator, offensive head coach in the NFL that would help those guys less, if that makes sense. You know, be it every, you know, predictable dropbacks five-man protection over over and over you know he talked about it you know he was very open with the fact that he thought he needed five guys for his concepts to work um you know it's it look you see guys though that fall into that trap like i need this fifth guy to influence this to, you know it looks great on a whiteboard meanwhile your quarterback's pulling turf out of his helmet you know for the sixth time in, the third in his first start ever 
Yep, and, and what's he doing? He's looking right at the Denny's menu, right? Because he's got to find that next time. This one's definitely going to work, assuming your quarterback's arm still throw the ball. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Brutal. That's hilarious. It's absolutely the Denny's, brutal. The Denny's menu is, is so fitting. It literally did look like a Denny's mm. menu. That's uh, uh, that's hilarious. Um, Waffle House for you Southerners out there. Before we go to the, to the next lineman we drafted, um, I just wanted to Braxton Jones. I think Michael, you hit on it. I mean, like the one thing you can't really coach, obviously we talked about coaching and how much it can help you. Braxton Jones has the ideal length and size to play left tackle. And that's just something you can't teach. So it's like, if you can even fix some of his issues, yes, he, he could probably definitely be a swing tackle. And that's probably why people had him kind of rank so high, just because he has those developmental uh, physical gifts and the rest you can work on but just from me watching him there's a, a lot to correct he he plays very high he doesn't use his hands well and uh i don't know but he's he's very athletic and i think his pass sets are really smooth looking so oh so how's, got out of the kid how's his attitude like when he gets a hold of somebody pretty, is he trying to bury him or is he just like he, he is but and soft he, and he he tries to bury him, but he plays so high sometimes that his legs stop moving, and he just like for a guy that big, you want to see him get extension, but defenders get into his chest, and it's like when I, I was getting so mad watching the game, I watch him play, cause it's like, dude, you have three foot long arms, you have shovels for arms, and you're letting defenders get into your chest and push you backwards. Like if you get a little bit lower and get some extension on him, which I the few times he did, he took the defender five, six, seven yards down the field. And maybe uh, maybe Gordon can teach him some like dance moves and get those hips a little more flexible and he can get some bend. The other thing I noticed is that Southern Utah is a terrible football program. <laughs> <laughs> Did he, didn't he turn down? Like, I can't remember what I read about him. Like, I thought he either didn't get any like D1 offers or like he turned down somewhere to stay local. Like, was he a Utah kid that stayed local or was he just not even like, I can't remember what, like, cause Brugler's beast has everything, you know, it'll have yeah. like, their three star uh, O lineman coming out of high school. I think you, he, he's either been just a low grade uh, prospect the whole time or, he stayed home to stay at Southern News. I can't remember. His home is in his high school at home is in Murray, Utah. Mm. Well, there's your answer. That, that's it. That was it. You know, he's actually a Pro Bowl left tackle that just, you know, was hiding at Southern Utah. I think, I think they won six games or something like that. Brugler said it was something ridiculous. Like they won like no games, but he was another guy. I think he was like a two time captain there. So Bears definitely have a type of guy. They, they he's prefer. a leader. Yeah, he's a leader. For sure. Kid, so we'll see. But the I next guy we could talk about is uh, Zach Thomas. Not the potential Hall of Fame Zach Thomas. How is he not in the Hall of Fame, by the way? Dolphin <laughs> Zach Thomas. His numbers are pretty damn good, though. Because he didn't allow his cell phone to be used in a crime. <laughs> 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 anyway, Zach Thomas, potential Hall of Fame uh, right guard. Let's go, Lucas. What you got? Uh, so what's cool is Zach Thomas and Braxton Jones both played left tackle versus San Jose State. So you can find both games on YouTube if you just type in 
San Diego State versus San Jose State offense and then do the same for Southern Utah versus San Jose. So you can literally compare side by side like the same players they were playing. And I can say that I was way more impressed with what I came away with seeing Zach Thomas versus them um, than Braxton Jones. Uh, Zach Thomas is, he was graded by PFF, I think is the, the highest graded run blocker in college football last year. And I don't really like PFF grades, but you can definitely see he is a beast in the run game on film. He, he destroys linemen on his down blocks. He always gets to the second level and he's always taken two to three guys out at a time. It's, it's actually insane. If you sit down and watch some of his tape, Michael, I don't know if you got a chance to watch any of him, but what did you come away with here on Zach Thomas? Yeah, I came up with a lot of really similar things to you, really. And so I think Zach Thomas is, and again, kind of why why I landed on the alignment that I thought I did, kind of who plays where, you know, at least for this year, um, who develops where, is I think you slide him over to guard and you, you minimize a lot of what maybe pushed him to the third round while you're maximizing all the things that he does really well. Because, yeah, I mean, like you said, he's and evidently, yeah, I don't want to say, you know, I won't say great, but a very good run blocker at minimum. At least he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, he fits into, he's got the feet to fit into the zone scheme. And the big thing, too, so that was the first thing that I actually wrote down right here with him, is that his ability to get to the second level. And, and not just like, you know, people say, it's kind of a misconception. Oh, he got to the second level. You know, like when he's on, when they're in a three-man front and they go, you know, <laughs> off the linebacker, like, I mean, okay, great. I mean, that is great. You know, okay, great. You didn't let that linebacker get across. But he works through alignment to the second level, which is a feature of this zone scheme. Like, there, there's no such thing as when you're running a zone scheme, there's no such thing under a base front, you know, where we don't have open gaps or, you know, any kind of any thing weird like that but assuming we're playing a base front you don't have linemen that just go run up to the second level like that that's not a thing you work through that gap player in level one so you know the three technique for example it, it, it's a combo block so that's how you get that leverage of the backside player you know ends up blocking to one gap to the play side is he's gonna help right so you, you know if i'm if i'm the right guard and there's a guy standing between me and the tackle. I mean, that guard is going to use his hands, his feet to help that tackle, you know, kind of push that guy back, stand him up, give him a good angle, let that tackle, you know, get underneath, and he's going to go right through that guy, you know, work through him to a linebacker. Um, very, the guys that can do that, invaluable, make this system work, and I think he does that really, really well. So other than that completely agree i just thought that um that kind of stood out to me um you know as well that he he does that really well um you know at least he did in college and there were you know i think the negatives on him were pretty pass blocking yeah yeah his pass (laughs) general but you move that's why i said i think you move him inside right you get all of the valuable i didn't think his feet were you know i didn't think mechanically he was very bad pass blocker i mean he got in trouble with his sets quite a bit you know he would underset. i was yeah he would do it all underset overset you know it looked like a you know like a hitter that you know is sees the same tunnel and is always one pitch behind the pitcher but <laughs> like see but you move inside and that's that's completely fine and also i think a lot of that is a product of his scheme so san diego state was a uh 
you know, some context here is they're a, a very zone heavy offense and they would run the ball all the time. So like they weren't really asked to pass set that much. They would just run the crap out of the ball, but just watching him versus Braxton Jones, that's where I see Braxton Jones potential as a left tackle was that he was always set up in a good position in his pass block. Like his first two or three kick steps to get set up and engage a defender were good. But then it's when he was actually engaged, where he had issues where Zach Thomas would have issues actually getting set up into his pass protection and defenders would beat him off kind of their first move. Um, so kind of two differences there, but I totally agree. You know, inside a guard is probably a good assessment for him and, I think maybe there's some untapped potential there in pass protection when he's asked to do it more and, and, you know, with some better coaching at it. So um, I would say he's probably my favorite lineman out of the group, to be honest with you. And the fact that he can play both tackle positions in a pinch probably is, is a plus for his ability to possibly make this roster and dress on game days. Oh yeah. I think one way or the other, he probably dresses on game for that reason alone. If he's not starting, he mm-hmm. gives you a backup at four spots, you know, right. primarily two and two more. If we do the uh, offensive line health that we did last, you know, beginning of last year. So, um, yeah, no, completely agree. And yeah, you nailed it with the way you explained setting. I, I should have definitely slowed down, but um, that's exactly why, you know, I had the same evaluation was you move them inside where that matters a little bit less. Um, and you right. do what he does really well. It's, shoot his hands into so you know and work you know work his feet once engaged then absolutely right awesome looking forward to uh seeing what happens with uh zach thomas if they do move him inside to guard which did we did we hear that he was lining up at guard in rookie minicamps already or i, can't I think so I think I heard that. Um, I, I think I heard it on CHGO, actually. Um, yeah, I think that's where I heard it. But also, it seemed like, I mean, it would make sense that everybody was kind of playing everywhere. I, that would make sense. Kind of. Can he be a candidate that we can fire Sam Mustafer with? Because I, whoever, I don't care. Just right. I think that, fire that guy. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that Sam Mustafer... It makes it through, you know, makes it through. I mean, what's the first cut down to 70, isn't it? I'm not sure. Yeah. He might, though. It depends on how they view Kramer, in my opinion, which Mm -hmm. you can dive into. But Mustafer at least gives you the ability to play guard where Kramer is a center only. And if he can't play guard, who knows if they want him to even dress just as a backup center. I mean, that's kind of it could be a make or break point for Kramer to be honest with you. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll let you dive into that. You probably know about it more than me, but I don't think Kramer's ever moved from center. So no, I, I mean, you know, pre I'm sure, but you know, everybody does pre college. Kramer's actually probably my favorite offensive lineman that they drafted. Um, and it's really, really close. To it. it. I, there was a lot that I liked about Kramer. Um, I did a video thread. I won't rehash that entire thing here. Um, you know, people can, I, I think I, I tagged all of you guys in it. So, um, Michael Gus 57 on Twitter for that video thread. Yeah. Go so look at that. Kind of the highlights that, um, that, that I really liked about Kramer. I think that he uses, I think he's a great fit in this scheme. Um, you know, the, the, the zone blocking, the run blocking is something that he did really well. 
Um, really liked the way he used his hands. Um, just really good fundamentally, you know, getting the hands inside, you know, constantly replacing the hands. Really good use to get over one gap, like, you know, you need a good zone blocker to do. Um, once engaged, I thought his feet were really good. I, I mean, you see, and um, we could, you know, get new examples here later, but um, you, you see a lot of really good reps, I, I guess you would say, where he gets one gap to the play side, uses those hands, uses those feet. going to be valuable in this system. Now, you know, it, it, for whatever reason, though, the negatives that I had on him was he, he, does, he ends up on the ground a ton. And I mean a lot. Mm -hmm. And some of it, so I actually went back and I'm like, you know, why is this a thing, right? Why does this keep happening? Because once engaged, I think his feet are really good. You know, there are lots of really good reps. In the open space, you know, before he gets engaged, when he's, you know, works through, looks great, ends up on the ground a lot, a lot of lunging, you know, at linebackers. So that's definitely something to clean up. And, he got rolled up. I don't know what was going on in Illinois, but I don't know how the guy made it through the year. Just seriously, you know, you're ever bored, put it in YouTube, Illinois offense versus it'll come up. I don't know what it was, man, but those guards rolled him up like once a, once a series, um, which I mean, you know, that's anyone that's, anyone that's done anything athletically, but especially played <laughs> in that environment, right? Where you're, that's uh that makes the hair stand up. Mm -hmm. It, it brings me back. Yes, someone engaged that guard rolls into you know because you expect it from the guy in front of you, but when your buddy <laughs> you know rolls you up, that's you know, some nasty injury potential. But that, that was that was my high school coach's biggest pet peeve. If you were on the ground, man, oh my god, dude, he would lose his mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. So, but, but yeah, definitely, you know, on the ground a lot. So, a lot, and there were, you know, it, again, all of these are day three guys. So any of the negatives that we have are not to say that they're no good. They'll never be good. But if these things didn't show up, they wouldn't be available in day three. Right. 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 If Kramer was never on the ground and he was, you know, all of these great things were constantly on display. Well, you know, his, his name would be Tyler Linderbaum. And, we would be trying to, you know, trying to will it into the universe that we could draft him in the second round, not not day three. Uh, but overall, you know, I'm I'm pretty high on him, uh, and I think a lot of it, like you said, kind of comes down to two things. Number one, how does Luke? I feel like they really like Patrick um, at center for all of the reasons before the ball is snapped, at least. Um, that he can make the line calls. Cause I mean, for anyone that doesn't know typically, and it is a little bit, you know, there, there's exceptions outliers, but the center is going to be making the line calls. So, you know, if we're in a certain pass protection, um, the center is going to be the one that kind of, you, you know, identifies, Hey, you know, if, if these two, basically if these two blitz, this is the free runner. Um, you know, we're all going to move to the left. We're all going to move to the right. You know, if if they move right before the snap, that's the center is going to kind of be the one making that quick adjustment. Um, I wonder how Gessie feels about having a rookie do it. But with that being said, it is a brand new offense. Yes. I mean, Patrick played with him in Green Bay, but, you know, this isn't Getsy's going to have his own 
you know, he's going to have his own verbiage, his own rules, his own twists, his own his own flavor to you know a big macro scheme. So I wonder, being the first year, I think it's more likely that he would be open to having a rookie, you know, playing center because everyone's kind of starting from square one. Um, but I could understand, you know, wanting wanting Patrick there to kind of be making those calls. Well, well let me ask you this: with if you were to kick Patrick over to guard, right, and you had Mustafer or not Mustafer, if you had Whitehair no, and no. Patrick at guard, and um, Kramer at center, do you think the fact that he has two veterans next to him who also played center to help make those line calls could make a difference? Um, you know, right off the bat for him. Oh yeah, I, I think it absolutely would. And again, you you know, I, I, last time I'll ever use a Matt Nagy uh, term. So you're getting into two o two there. Uh, which just makes you cringe, um, which means nothing works is, is what that means. But um, yeah, th- and that's pretty common. I mean, even when, when James Daniels played center briefly before they realized that he quite literally was too quiet for the tackles to hear him, um, you know, there was a lot of reports of white hair doing that. So given the, given the environment, if Kramer turns out, you, you know, hey, he's, we get to camp. Hey, this is far and away our best lineman you know, of the four, you know, this is our most viable starter. I think you could really get away with it, you know, pretty easily for that reason too, that you, you've got, you, you know, a big longtime starter in white hair league veteran and Patrick, who's, you know, also been pushed into some starting roles, you know, in green Bay, but is going to be familiar in some sense with Getsy, the offense, probably the terminology, all that good stuff. Yeah, question I had was I know a lot of Packers fans um said that Patrick or said that a lot of Packers fans said that Patrick was a better guard than center. Why are we listening so, to anything those fools have to say? They win a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just just a thought. They have a good offensive line. Anyway, um so I think I I think what you're saying is ex- like probably takes precedence, right? Uh, those offensive line calls are going to be more important to the overall success of the offense rather than where Lucas Patrick best fits. And if that means Doug Kramer, you know, rides the pine for a year before he, or maybe half the year before he, you know, starts is able to make the calls or, you know, maybe somebody else is making the calls or whatever, then, uh, I'm just curious what you think about Patrick at, at center versus guard. Have you watched enough of him to say what he's better at? I think it's pretty similar. I have watched quite a bit of him. Um, I think it's the difference is negligible. And I don't think that – so if we're developing some long-term players, you know, definitely tackle spots. I, I think they're really out of something long-term. Candidly, I don't think Luke – Patrick should factor in, you know, kind of he should factor into that long-term plan. So that's to say if, yes, if Kramer is looking like he could be a starting center, then do not let Lucas Patrick get his way. Move him over to guard. And same thing for any one of the other guys at guard. You know, if you get to camp and you're like, hey, this, for example, hey, this is, you know, this looks like a starting caliber right guard. Move him to center. Or, I mean, keep him at center. Just I don't think that he should, because, you know, he's probably not long-term, like hopefully some of these guys are. 
because I think you pretty much know what you're going to get with Patrick. It, you know, it's, it is guard center. He's kind of shown that, you know, he can plug him either, either spot and he'll get it done. So, I mean, kind of like we talked about last time I was here, find your best five, put them there, mm-hmm. leave them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the naggy thing where sometimes he's a guard unless he's a um, maybe we'll throw him a pass and now we, <laughs> because we fed up Miles Garrett one on one, you know, seven consecutive plays. Well, the Bears, oh, we're not done drafting offensive linemen in the six, uh, in the, in the draft. They went on to the seventh round and drafted Tyre Carter. Uh, Jatari Carter out of uh, out of Southern, a uh, 6'3", 311 pounder, uh, who kind of he you know he, play, he played what he played he played a lot of uh, tackle at Southern, but he's probably one of those guys we heard it a lot in the draft that oh this guy might be a candidate to move inside to guard. You look you go ahead and look at uh, ourlads.com who kind of does a, a working dra- uh, depth chart and they've already got him slotted in as a third string uh, right uh, left guard. So uh, our man Michael Gus, what do you see out of Carter when you uh, when you when you put on the tape uh, from, from the man? What is uh, Southern uh, HBCU? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably exactly that. Probably a long-term developmental guard that you know maybe could give you like some emergency tackle depth, but probably a practice squad guy for now. Um, practice squad, you know, kind of float in and out of between that, and you know, someone who's just a depth development um guy who's probably not going to be on the fifty-three. He flashes, you, you know, and. A lot of people on Twitter have kind of, you know, provided the clips, pointed that out. There's some really nice flashes physically, um, but, you know, just got a lot of refining to do, I think. Um, Again, another guy that's going to really benefit from uh, an NFL cycle, you know, or or two. Just really getting in the weight room, nutrition, NFL coaching, speed, all of that good stuff. Um, Not someone who I think is necessarily going to challenge for – you know, a starting spot this year. Um, but someone that, you know, has enough physically, you know, enough flashes on tape to to like about just developing long term. Well, sounds awesome. I want to uh, just pin you down real quick as we're in uh, May, uh, many months away from the season. Uh, but yeah, if you, after the Bears draft, and we've got rookie, we just had rookie minicamp. What do you predict now? We we had John prior to the draft and kind of asked you who you thought the best five would be. If if, if it's Michael Gus's uh, offensive line on May the tenth, what do you think the best uh, best five will end up being when we are in the Detroit Lions? <laughs> Uh, so I would say uh, left to right, I would uh, have right now Borum Whitehair, Kramer, Patrick, Jenkins. That would be, uh, that w- yeah, that would be where I would go right now. Awesome. I do want to, uh, the Bears did bring in one UDFA who seemed like a hot name, uh, Gene DeLance out of Florida. Uh, I don't really know if we discussed him too much last podcast, but uh, another guy with prototypical length for a tackle. Um, he has some really good tape at Florida, and people seem to be really high on this guy. So I, it's just a name to keep an eye on as we go through camp. Maybe he beats out one of these four linemen they drafted. Who knows? But another guy with tree trunks for for arms. His arm length is thirty six and four eighths. So this guy's pushing 
37 inch arms four eighths <laughs> uh, that's an interesting uh uh yeah i don't know why they have it listed at that so 36 <laughs> and a half <laughs> uh, um, yeah i think i think they just list all their on this website i think they just list everything in eighths so um but gene delance is another name to keep your eye on um as a possible another alignment option that they brought in yeah to me i mean i think they're um definitely casting a wide net trying to find some developmental tackles that have the physicals and you know obviously so we we haven't even gotten to our first camp yet so you know it's it's i'm sure it's rose-colored glasses up there and they think they got the uh they got the guys and they got the system to develop these guys so yeah i mean i'm not i don't like to be that guy but i I kind of feel like this is what Poles and Cunningham are kind of brought here to do. So I want to see at least one of these dudes eventually turn into a possible starter for the Bears. That would be really nice and and kind of maybe my expectations too high. I mean, I know they're day three picks, but just want for one of these guys to pan out. It's kind of my expectation that I think, you know, I'm expecting Poles to be able to identify at least one of these guys to to be a player for us up front. Yeah, it's not. A, I mean, you know, yesterday three guys, but you got four of them. So yeah. you would hope right with those evaluations and hopefully an environment to develop in. Cause that that's often overlooked, but yeah, I, I mean, 25% would not be an unfair ask. That's for sure. Right. And especially if you can get like, you know, a Charlino level play out of one of these guys, mm-hmm. I, I would, I would probably consider that a win. Michael, what have you been hearing? Uh, I'll ask you about a, a veteran that's been kicked around. What have you been hearing about adding Eric Fisher into this room uh, with Ryan Pohl's connection back to Kansas City? Um, he's okay with uh, not starting, right, barring injury or just poor play. So, I, I mean, that's a hypothetical, but I think that that's the hang-up that they're going to run into I, because best-case scenario – not even best-case scenario – in a – deal scenario or you know semi-positive scenario the difference in play between him and the two second year tackles you have wouldn't be enough to where you would take those reps away from him um so i i think that that's that could be a i think that probably has been a hang-up you know in these negotiations is unless you're going to get a armstead you know for example and you know if healthy all that good stuff you know you're going to get someone that okay you know there's your left tackle no questions asked you know he's a top 10 you know top half guy easily you know no way around it then i'm not sure that you know you're guaranteeing an eric fisher hey i guarantee you you know you're going to be the left tackle what if borum's better or what if borum's similar and i mean you really want to take those reps away from him right um so yeah, I mean, at this point, I, uh, you know, I again trust but verify. Um, I, I think, you know, if you can find guys that make sense and are okay with that role, you know, being a being a hedge against injury and or just poor play from the tackles, sure, bring them in. But you know, I, I'm not guaranteeing an Eric Fisher starting job. Laurent Tardif, that's my guy. I'm not, him play not guaranteeing him a starting job either. But you know, it, but hey, if they want to come in and compete, 
then I'm all for it because this team needs offensive help. There's no way around that. For sure. Well, guys, do we have any more offensive line questions for Michael Gus before I turn us to a different topic? Or I don't want to jump the gun here. No, I think the uh, the the best question was like, who are the ideal starting five? And I think that uh, that's a good uh, a good foundation, a good start. Uh, one of these guys pans out or is able to fill a hole this year or even excel this year would be you know fantastic uh, for this team. And to have depth on this team that's not Dakota Dozier or everybody else's leftover trash that um, is homegrown and, you know, can plug a hole or potentially, you know, be a starter down the line. You know, Lucas Patrick was brought in as a free agent. You know, if one of these guys can take his spot in a couple of years or a year, then so be it, you know, rookie contracts are great, especially third day rookie contracts. So uh, yeah, if we can get this offensive line assembled based off of you know two out of these four succeeding or maybe three out of these four in two to three years that would be phenomenal and hopefully polls and cunningham do have the eye for for the guys that are gonna you know project as those those pieces Well, Michael, I really appreciate you hanging out with us. You're welcome to continue. If you want to hang out and talk, talk, chop it up with the rest of our Bears talk, absolutely, we'd love to continue. But I want to talk about Tariq Cohen a little bit. Uh, Tariq Cohen put out uh, put out a, a rather lengthy article in the Players' Tribune today uh, detailing uh, a lot of the struggles that he's, he's kind of uh, been carrying during his time in the NFL and really how it relates back to all the way back to his time in high school. Uh, uh, really just uh, a, lot, a great picture, uh, a brutal picture, an ugly picture into Tariq Cohen's personal life. Uh, I got I to gotta applaud him for the courage that it took to uh, put that pen to paper, in, in my opinion, and kind of show the world what, uh, what his family life has been looking like. If you missed the article in the Players' Tribune, he, he – details and discusses uh his brothers his relationship with his brothers uh and how their turmoil off the field and uh, and really his mother's struggle as a single mother uh, affected him in his in, in his in his uh, professional career and his in his career as a football player uh both on and off the field and uh you know, I, I as a Bears fan and as someone who has been critical of Kareem Cohen at times uh, in the past I think it was a really uh really refreshing and kind of uh, eye-opening look at just what these players go through off the field. I think oftentimes we, we, we kind of uh, see them as just Madden players, plug them in and they're, and they're just going to play according to their Madden rating. Uh, and they're not real, you know, I know sometimes I'm a little guilty of not, not, not seeing the human under the helmet. Uh, just, uh, just give you a chance. Michael, if you, if you haven't read the article or if you did read the article, what do you, uh, what's your opinion of, uh, of, uh, of Tariq Cohen and just kind of where he's at with his ACL recovery. I know that uh, he's not on a team at the moment, but at the end of the article, he, he declares that he's uh, as healthy as ever, he's ever been and he's ready to kind of uh, revamp his NFL career. Guys, just I, I, I know Chris and Luke, y'all, y'all read it today. We shared it in our chat. Just what did you make of just Tariq Cohen's story, just all the adversity that he's faced? Yeah, it, man, that was it was tough to read, you know, for all the reasons that you said it. You just all of that, all of that on top of 
you know, not just the injury, but, you know, not just the fact of, you know, having your knee injured in general, but just the threat that that poses to his career, frankly. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's tough. And it does make you take a step back and you go, man, you know, that knee injury, a career-threatening knee injury, almost doesn't seem, it minimizes it. You know what I mean? You're like, that's not even priority A or B right now for him. Um, which is tough because, you know, I think we've, uh, most of us have been critical, you know, to recone, especially, you know, with the big extended, you know, quote unquote knee recovery. But, you know, that was something that I kept saying really second half of last year, but even before, you know, when it got apparent where you're like, oh man, you know, something isn't right here. You know, it ever, you, you assume it's, Hey, something, you know, the knee's not rehabbing the way it should. Um, but to see that that wasn't even, you know, priority A or B, or yeah, that wasn't even half of it is, yeah, it does. It makes you take a step back. And Tariq Cohen, you know, interacting on social media, you know, just getting a glimpse while he was here of Tariq Cohen, the person, um, before that article, it was really, really easy to be like, man, you know, I hope he gets on sticks you know, has a good year or two at minimum. You know, I, I hope he, you know, hope he has a Darren Sproles second, you know, where he can bounce mm-hmm. around and provide value. But after you read that, man, you know, that's that's one of the guys that, you know, even after leaving the Bears that at least I'm going to follow and really, really pull for. Um, also, you know, if there's, with with all the, negative and you know tragedy in there you know hopefully he can get away from matt Nagy, and i mean this seriously and <laughs> and you know have a second half to his career and you know hopefully i really hope that for him so yeah tragedy is is definitely a word i would use um t- timing and you know the a lot of these these decisions that he talks about you know three or big decisions that he made as as a as a as a young as a very young man, you know, as an eighteen year old, whether or not to stay uh, in high school, finish out his his uh, career at the high school he was at to keep his recruitment going, ended up at A and T, um, you know, did really well, ended up getting drafted, but meanwhile his family's you know kind of struggling without him, uh, loses you know multiple siblings, his mom struggles to just. Uh, keep her head above water and it's just like to watch him still be kind of the fun personality he was was kind of amazing that he could you know separate the two Um, and then when he talks about getting three phone calls essentially with the loss of his brothers and um, and whatnot and just being and what was going on in his NFL life you know, what he had to do. And honestly, you look at it like, you know, from a fan's perspective and a money's perspective, you say like, wow, gave that guy a lot of money, you know, for being kind of a a gadget player. I hope this works out, you know, whatnot. Then he gets hurt. And from a fan's perspective, it's really rough. But like you said, Michael, you take a step back and examine the human element of it. And you are kind of happy he got that money for his family uh, and his mom to you know kind of write that family's ship as it were so 
if you haven't had a chance to read the article, uh, just tweeted it out from the BIM pod account. Uh, please go, you know, give it a, give it a, a read and, and get to know Tariq Cohen a little bit better in his backstory and a uh, letter from his future self to his 18 year old self. And it's a, it's a good story. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, you guys kind of hit it on the head and the end of the story kind of, you know, after all that, you know, sadness, it kind of made me smile that he is putting money away and and buying a house for his brother's siblings, um, you know, and kind of being that uncle and role model for those kids that they'll, you know, they never had. So, you know, he's setting up, you know, the future generations for their life. And, you know, that that did, you know, was was a nice little ending there to that really tragic story and you know he'll you know he'll probably be a fantastic role model for them um so he can give them a better life than he had growing up but at the end of the day you know i think uh you know kind of i think ryan pace did him a solid too by keeping him around i think a lot of people were asking you know tree cones never coming back why doesn't ryan pace caught him and do all this well i think we kind of have an answer for that now and and you know like we said kind of you know I'm happy that he he has that money and and can do what he needs with it for his family. So definitely a you know a must read article though. Kind of gives you peels back the curtain from what a lot of these players. I mean, a lot of these players' football is their escape and and a way to make a better future. But you know, it's always not that easy to just separate yourself from your past life, if you will, um, because it is your family and it you know it's it's where you're from. So. Just a, dull, a lot of tough scenarios in that article, and uh, I, I think uh, uh, collectively uh, as a podcast, our hearts are uh, in in his corner for the, for for a, a great positive, uh, you know, revamping of his career. Hopefully, exactly like Michael said, he can go find an offensive coordinator who will use him uh, appropriately. Maybe you know, maybe he can go down to Atlanta and uh, you know help out Cordell Patterson. Then you know, Ryan Pace likes to collect his. Uh, <laughs> His island of misfit toys. You'll have you'll have Ryan Pace and Phil Emery <laughs> collecting all the old bears, and uh, maybe that would help him out with, with Marcus Mariota and Arthur Smith and stuff. So, uh, do we? I, are there any other Bears topics tonight that I that I've missed on this evening? Or uh, Chris, I know uh, I know you're probably up on everything. I, I'm just well, don't want to leave anything on the on the cutting room floor before we wrap up. Uh, Kyler Gordon jumped out of the building at uh, Bears minicamp, and it's a, a huge deal. Apparently, uh, Cole Komet's going to be a big part, big piece of the offense per Luke Getzey. He's excited to use him, uh, so I look forward to seeing how Getzey deploys Luke or uh, deploys Cole Komet next year. Uh, it'll be interesting, you know, with uh, tight ends that they have and the fullback and you know zone scheme and everything where. Cole Komet kind of fits in as that. Uh, Do we believe that? Absolutely. Cole Komet's the Jesus, bro. He went. I know you're a Notre Dame guy. Do we really believe that? Yeah, I, man. He's solid. Yeah. I mean, I. Six catches, 600 yards, and with the qualifier of Matt Nagy. So, yeah, I mean, I think, hey, I think it's evident right now, and I, that he is a lock to you know for the second year in a row be your number two in all targets receptions and yards um i yeah i was gonna say with the kind of lack of depth of addressing receiver really you know maybe that is really actually their plan is to get commit 
way more involved in the offense to kind of pick up the slack of not having, you know, that true number one receiver, perhaps. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm excited for uh for this season and this offense. We'll see. Uh Kyle Rudolph. Yeah. Gosh. Jesper Horstead is is George Kittle, bro. With the long hair and the looking like a hillbilly kind of kind of I don't look. think I don't think he can block though. He no, need I, to. That's what Cole Komet and uh uh, uh what's old boy Kittle Ryan blocks are for. Yeah, yeah, Kittle, Kittle blocks. Great block. Yeah, if we could just can No, block. I'm saying Horstead doesn't need to. Oh. Never mind. Well then he's not Kittle. Fuck, come on, man. Horstead is the new Horstead is the new Jimmy Graham. Oh my god, he's not big enough to be Jimmy Graham. He's like, uh, he's like, uh, what's that dude's name? (laughs) Trey, 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 what's his name? Help me out, Trey McBride. No, what's old boy's name from that came from the the, that went to the Coles and was from Philadelphia? That was. Trey Burton, thank you. Burton. I was going to say, I, Trey Lance wouldn't get out of my head, and I knew that was wrong. We don't want so. anybody to be the next Trey Burton. No. Dude, that guy was talented after he left us. He did I don't well care. Oh, my gosh. See, that's, that was everybody as it pertains to Matt Nagy. They were, well, they, were yeah. really, they were really useful before and after. It just, <laughs> in between, you know, what's the common factor there? Trubisky's taking the Steelers to the playoffs this year, and, and everybody's going to know. He won't even start, dude. Pickett's gonna fake weeks, he will. Pickett's gonna fake slide him right out of that job, bro. He'll, he'll start for three weeks. <laughs> uh, is that pre including preseason? You are right. You will start the first three weeks of preseason. I'm oh kidding. you're, man. you're, you're well, right. Michael, it's been a lot of fun having you tonight, and uh, we really appreciate you joining us on the Believe in Monsters podcast. Make sure, guys, if you're listening, to go follow Michael at Michael Gus five seven. Uh, you can find that uh, that, that Kramer tweet, tweet thread that he's uh, put out, and several several others uh, evaluations of different offensive linemen and just kind of the progression of uh, of the Chicago Bears. Yes, Chris. So uh, we all know uh, Michael's a big fan of Olin Krutz. What is your uh, what's your take on that situation uh, with the CHGO uh, Adam Hogue well, WWE choke? Well, that sucks. That's pretty- <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my reaction. I think my reaction was you see it pop up, you're like, oh no, come on, man. Uh, yeah, no, that sucks. I mean, I mean, seriously, yes, my all-time favorite player, um, which I thought was really, really cool to, you know, when he was done playing, get to have him in the media. I also really appreciate how he's one of the rare media guys around the Bears that does not walk the uh, PR line, you know, doesn't, just doesn't kind of follow that. Um, but yeah, man, you, you can't do that. And, and when you do do that, your media career is probably done. So, um, no, that's, I mean, that's, you know, it's unfortunate. Serious. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And it's in, inexcusable. I mean, you can't, I, I know that, you know, he justified it with a meme, but you, I mean, you, end of the day, you can't. Especially Hogue, man. Yeah. So, but anyone who's listened and not even to CHGO, Anyone's listened to the hits that they did before that? I can't say I'm surprised. I, I mean, I, I gotta say, I can't say. As soon as the story came out, I think I tweeted out. I'm like, oh, that was a hundred percent Hogue, and everyone's yeah. like, no, you know, it was probably a cameraman. I'm like, 
No, no, I, I, I think I've, you know, you heard the restraint in his voice a couple times. I think from, you know, strangling Hogue. But yeah, their personality. <laughs> yeah, you know, did anyone else pick up on that? Their personalities, man. Just they there was some tough. awkward tension there. Yeah, they Hogue, were Hogue's a smart ass too. What's that? Hogue's a smart ass. I mean, yeah. Well, it, it's a two way street. I mean, don't look. You can't choke someone because you don't like what they said. Right. Um, but I know. The takes I've seen, you know, are like, why would he do this? Uh, mm, that was that tension <laughs> went both ways. I mean, I don't know. This could be a whole other podcast, but I've seen that dynamic play out before. Um, you know, you, you you had the ex-professional player that didn't care what the media guys thought and, you know, made jokes about how he was a special teams high school coach after you know, he would. I think he would ask him once a week how how long he played, knowing what the answer was. And then you had the professional media guy, like, "Why? What are we doing here with this with this ex lineman in my professional media setting?" Um, so yeah, yeah, I can't say I'm surprised that happened. <laughs> At least you same hit him. guy that yeah. same guy that punched his uh, former teammate and broke his jaw. So. Right, right. At least he didn't. At least there weren't any twenty-five pound weights around Hogue when he made it mad, or else you know that might have been more serious. Because, um, Cruz was the guy that you know allegedly swung a. Uh, I think it was a twenty-five pound weight at a at a teammate a long time ago. So. Rough, rough stuff. Yeah, unprofessional. Can't do that. So. Yep. No. Uh, but yeah, Joe. Well, uh, Michael, just like the last time you were here, we closed with a fight song. <laughs> Feel free to join us if you'd like. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Make every play clear the way to victory. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Put up a fight with the might so fiercely. We'll, we'll never, never forget, forget the way you the your team formation Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.